Hi! Welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another brand new episode of Traumatic Transformations. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I have with me today, Dr. Rosie Khan, who is such an, such an amazing physician. Thank you so much for doing everything that you do, especially through these times when people are going through the most difficult times of their lives. So really, thank you so much for absolutely doing what you do. So glad and honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. Yes, absolutely. So um, let's just dive right in. Um, I wanted to, I reached out to you because I love your work and, you know, some of the things that you do, but I also can only imagine that it cannot be that easy. Everything that you've been, you know, one of the, one of the things that I loved about your um uh, in IG account and some of the things that you do is just breaking the cycle and all the things you do in terms of the racism, in terms of the sexism and all the work that you do in order to help other people and sort of, you know, pave the path for people. So let's talk about who you are uh, a little bit. If you can just um, introduce yourself uh, so that my audience know who you are. I, I love what you do, but um, just so people have an idea and then what led to who you are today. So you have like a few minutes we'll spend on that and and then we'll get into other nitty gritty details about what you can share with us. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, so I am a first generation American. My mm. parents are Pakistani and Indian. So mm. I was born and raised in California. Mm. Um, and, you know, my parents had the typical uh, immigrant story. Yep. Came here with like $12 <laughs> in their pocket. Um, and um, my father actually redid his entire education. He went to Cal State Long Beach for his mm. undergraduate degree and his graduate degree because he knew the value of an American degree compared yep. to the to the ones in Pakistan. So he worked really hard um, to set up this whole life for me and my mom. And That's awesome. um, yeah, so um, 
I grew up as a first generation and then um, I had a lot of struggles in college because I wanted to, to be a physician mm-hmm. and uh, I got pretty terrible grades. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really overcome a lot of the negative talk that was going on in my mind. And I think that's when I really first started to shape saying no, no, thank you to other people's opinions on yes. what the future would look like and what I needed to do as Absolutely. a woman, a woman of color, a first generation. You know, there's a lot of sexism, racism, implicit bias um, yep. I encountered that. And so those were the first times I battled through it. So I I, I got into medical school and then, Yay. yeah, um, <laughs> and then throughout my training. So I, I ended up uh, deciding that I wanted to be a double board certified physician and specialize in critical care medicine, mm. which means that I work in the intensive care unit, which is where um, all patients with life threatening illnesses are cared for in the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so right now, your job must be 24 7, 365, <laughs> three years in a row. <laughs> yeah. With the COVID 19 pandemic, it's been, it's been a huge challenge. This, I mean, this. Career-wise, this has been the most challenging, but also most rewarding year of my life. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's been tough, but critical care in general is a very male-dominated specialty. Mm. Uh, it's also very emotionally and physically draining. I can only um, imagine. Yeah. So when I finished my two years of fellowship in New York, yes, I was actually ready to quit. I did not want to be a physician anymore. What? Yeah, I um. I actually started to think about, well, what it, what was it that I really loved before diving down this whole medical thing? Right. I, like the last nine years of my life, I was ready to just go. <laughs> what did I apply or what did I put on my, you know, statement letters to all the med schools? <laughs> yeah. But what was so funny is like, I actually really liked... Um, coding. So mm. I, I, I used to code. I, you're, you're, you're my age. So I, I think we <laughs> I used to code my own MySpace background. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, so I really loved HTML. So I actually went back and I became a WordPress developer. So oh, I was wow. these okay. coding classes on the side to refresh everything while yes. also working as a physician uh, in my first job. Um, oh, because I needed to pay off those $300,000 in student loans. And yes, yes. <laughs> but luckily, luckily, I actually discover, rediscovered my love for medicine through my first job and like really setting boundaries. Mm, um, I just got done talking about that on my IG Live. Empathy, sympathy, yes. and boundaries. <laughs> exactly. And then, I, and then I really discovered what it was, and it was just pure burnout. Mm. Um, and so when you're completely burned out, it you're you experience just complete anger, um, irritation, uh, and you can no longer feel that empathy or, or attachment, passion, what you used to have towards your yes. patients. Um, yes, yes, yes. So yeah, so, so luckily, after I discovered that, I, I really set in place a lifelong plan to be able to um, focus in on my wellness. Mm. And I've loved, loved, loved my job ever since. And it's actually, I think that plan is what's kind of protected me throughout this entire pandemic and mm. the grueling hours. So, um, yeah, now, now I, so I've been in practice for about eight years now. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, because I know that I'm sure that, you know, um, in the physician world, we were talking about this earlier. So I want to sort of touch base on this. Absolutely. And that what is, what would you say to other people who are being trained or who are in the profession? Um, Just give me a little bit of statistics in terms of, you know, physicians and the trauma-informed care and mental health. And what does all that look like in your world? Yeah. So in, in medical school, they really didn't teach us a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, most of it I learned, uh, during rotations Mm -hmm. where, you know, and rotations are kind of like an apprenticeship basically. And you you watch your senior physicians and, and, and professors watch them, how they do it. And I, and that's one of the reasons why I really went into critical care is because my mentor, Dr. Mark Robinson was just so poised and dignified uh, in the way that he would approach critical care medicine. And Mm. he really brought a lot of empathy and dignity to the dying process, which I cherished. Um, I thought it was so wonderful. Um, And because of that, I I really strove to um, be like him. Mm. Um, And Besides that, though, there really wasn't too much to model myself after, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, those type of physicians that are old school that are really into the um, the full examination, the way that physicians used to do it. it it's rare nowadays. Yes. And that's now- like manners is something that I truly I mean, I literally am one of those people who review people and, you know, doctors and find doctors based on reviews, because it's just that two minutes that you spend time with me makes such a world of difference yes, in does. my care. Absolutely. The medical stuff you can take care of. The humanness is what we look for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think our healthcare system has evolved to the point where um, it is not sustainable for physicians to yes. practice in that way anymore, which is very yes. sad. Yes. In the United States, it's, in order to have a sustainable business, even like a private practice, a clinic, mm-hmm. you have to be able to make a certain amount of money yep. um, with each visit that you make. And actually my, my other mentor who really encouraged me to, to become an osteopathic physician, specifically Dr. Farah Amiri, mm-hmm. um, she told me as, uh, you know, during rotation, she used to do skin biopsies, mm-hmm. um, in her clinic as a, as a primary care doctor. And she did a wonderful job and I used to watch her suture and it was just mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. But she later on, I asked her, I said, you know, we haven't done done these in a while. Mm -hmm. And she said the reason why is because she cannot afford to anymore because using the autoclave to re-sterilize all of the tools Mm. costs her more than she's getting reimbursed from insurance companies. So now she has to refer all her patients out to a dermatologist to do Mm. like these simple um, skin biopsies. And so what it does is what (laughs) the healthcare system is built so that um, it's an inconvenience for patients because right. now they pay two copays. Right, they have to go to two different appointments. They have to take time off of work twice uh, in order to get a skin biopsy done when it could be just been done by one person. Yeah, yeah. So our healthcare system has kind of taken a, a turn in that particular way. Sure. Um, and of course, training slowly has improved, but it's still it's a grueling process. I mean, eighty hours a week. Mm. It, is a lot to take on. Um, 
especially when there's also old school learning practices being yes. done. You know, you, you take these young, vibrant, passionate students New and buddy. fellows, and yep. then you stick them in a classroom yes. and try to teach them for an hour with a PowerPoint presentation. It's not Those days are gone. Those days are <laughs> It's gone. like right now we are literally operating with the IGs and the Facebooks. We're literally operating <laughs> on three-second attention span for people. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, and I, and I, I think we're doing them a, a big disservice by trying yes. to teach in that particular manner. Sure. Because, um, at the last academic institution I was, I was at, the the fellows would go to this lecture in the morning and then just come back to the ICU completely fatigued, bored out of their minds, um, not knowing what the relevance is, and mm-hmm. uh, and then have to show up for these patients in a in a happy, excited way. And um, it was it was a hard it was hard, and they were burned mm-hmm. out. You know. Yes, 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 yes. So tell us a little bit more about um, what, how did you learn trauma-informed care? As in, what would you say in terms of burnout, since that's the, exactly the topic that I want to touch base on a little, so to physicians out there or to other people who are professionals who are working in this healthcare COVID, you know, front lines, um, what are some of the things that you would ask them to look for in terms of burnout? And what were, what are some of the things that you are experiencing in terms of statistics you were mentioning earlier? how physicians um, experience, you know, dentists experience three times suicide rates. Um, I'll let you take, take from, take from here, but, and give your expertise on that. So a lot of, a lot of my research um, in learning about uh, different burnout rates and suicide rates really started from sexism. Hmm. I started to really dive into workplace dynamics as when it comes to sex and gender. Hmm. Um, that's always been a, a very big interest of mine starting from college. Um, sure. And then towards the end of fellowship is when I really started to dive into that. And that's also when um, uh, things were kind of getting blown up in Silicon Valley as far as female C- CEOs mm. and really shining a light on the sexual harassment and the gender right. disparity right. going on there. So it was it was just natural for me to also reflect on that within my own profession. Sure. Well, I found out that um, 55% of ICU physicians uh, experience burnout. Wow. Burned out, yeah. Which is, I mean, that's an astronomical number and... Um, but how can it not be? Because it's like, let's say hypothetic. I mean, you guys, like you mentioned in your training, you're not informed about trauma and burnout is a big vicarious trauma. We, we call it in our world, in the trauma world. If you're not taught on different coping skills, because you don't talk enough about subject, you're just expected to learn, 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 IQ, IQ. Nobody talks about EQ, you know, yeah. and we as a culture and, you know, society don't talk about EQ. So how else are you supposed to know how to cope with all of that? Know that that's going on within you. Even though you're smart, you're a physician, your mm-hmm. IQ is great. But what about all these other things that are just as necessary, important life skills, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then, and then I continued to look into suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for female physicians, the suicide rates are twice that of the general female population. Wow. Um, but male physicians, it's not statistically significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you look into the suicide um, general population literature, you know that men are more successful than women in completing mm-hmm. suicide mm-hmm. because they tend to use, you know, guns or more um, 
what you would call maybe violent ways of ending their life versus women uh, in the general population will attempt with like cutting their wrist and things like that, which may not be immediately um, life-threatening. Right. But in the physician population, it's both genders use overdose extremely yes. successfully because we have no yeah yes so um so not only are uh female physicians twice as likely to um die by suicide but they're also much more successful than the general mm. population which is scary That's a shame yeah and then female dentists are three times as likely and female veterinarians are four times as likely wow in the general population. Yeah. So it's really affecting female doctors in general a lot more. Yes. And um, I mean, there's so many layers to it. There's still the patriarchal society, household responsibilities. Um, there's also some desensitization to the death and dying process, mm. especially for physicians and, and veterinarians, because mm. um, they, they deal with that a lot. Uh, right. And um and just, I think, like you mentioned before, coping, we're not given appropriate coping skills. I think medical schools are starting to recognize that now and are oh, that's awesome. trying to implement that, yeah, into their curriculums. Yes. Just a few months ago, I uh, spoke about imposter syndrome. Oh, the national. <laughs> that's a topic um, close to my heart. I started yeah. with that. Yeah. No, yeah. So, so, career. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's important to talk about these things because then absolutely it's, it's part of coping, right? Yes. Recognizing yeah. and even knowing that imposter syndrome ex exists. Yes. Yes. So, um, and then really focusing in on your wellness. Like mm -hmm. I think the financial burden of medical school, oh. dentistry, veterinary school is, is huge. So it's $300,000 in debt. And so that adds another layer to, um, the to stress. stress. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then no one teaches us how to manage our money. I mean, we've been in, in science books for the last 13 years with our heads right. down right. and we don't learn a whole lot outside of yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. So, so yeah. So part of, I guess part of the way that I created my wellness plan was deciding where I wanted to spend my money on. And that was on my physical mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. So I hired a personal trainer and, um, mm -hmm. it was very expensive, but it was yeah. so worth it. But it's so needed given everything that you do and everything that you know about exercise and science and endorphins and yeah. oxytocin and you know these things, but yeah. you know, it's so hard to change behaviors and implement yeah. these skills outside of your work because by the time you come home, you're so spent and you just want to, mm -hmm. you know, de debrief from the entire world. Right, right. And so creating um, different care plans for days when you have your shifts versus days when you don't, I think yes. is also important. Um, and then setting boundaries on what you're willing to work and what you're not willing to work. Absolutely. Um, so my first job at a fellowship, I negotiated that I wasn't going to work night shifts. Mm. That was so important to me because I hadn't slept in <laughs> like 13 years. <laughs> just done. And, um, and even as, as a, you know, practicing physician, like after I, uh, I, I finished that job and I moved on. I started to dabble in back into night shifts because most most places require you to do some night shifts. Sure. Um, and I realized I don't perform well, and I don't. Nobody do performs well. Yeah. Without sleep, you know. Right. Right. How important it is to our body and yeah. our mind. 
Right. So I've set limits on how many I can do awesome. when I can do them. Um, during this pandemic, I, I was flipping between days and nights and it was just wow. not good. Yes. Not so good. How do you recognize within you? So maybe then, you know, it can inspire other people to be more hopeful and, you know, sort of have a plan. What are some of the symptoms that you experience as a physician or as a prof- frontline professional who works in these very high demanding career? What are some yeah. of the things that you notice in terms of right. burnout? What does that look like for you and in your world? Sure. So burnout is irritability. Yeah. I mean, I think because burnout is so prevalent. Yes. throughout all levels of training, people start to become desensitized to it. And they think that that's just how it is. Yes. And you are not supposed to be irritated all day, every day when you show up to work. That is yes. not normal. Yes. Um, I go to work happy mm-hmm. every day. Oh, that's awesome. I yes. can't think about my work. And you know, <laughs> I mean, like when you're a pre-med student and you're working towards be- becoming a physician, you know, you're so full of life and you're like, I can't people. And, you know, it's really compassionate people go into medicine and unfortunately they lose that because they're so burnt out. And then they decide, they think that, that it's because they hate being a physician now, but I think what it is, is they just need a break and And self care, mm -hmm, self care. So the irritability, constant irritability is, is one big sign. Um, no emotional attachments Mm. being, um, you know, when a patient, let's say is going, or a loved one is in the death or dying process, you kind of, you just don't care. Um, and that's, that's not human. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, it's, uh, it's natural to feel, feel some sort of grief. empathy. Yeah. Yes. And the entire and process of grief, even if it was, I mean, it was someone you cared for, for a little bit. So obviously you're going to experience yeah. signs and symptoms of grief through that process, even though you do it all day, every day, all the time, right. you know, right. But it's being able to hold space for that emotion and just let it surface and process through it, then repress yeah. it and resist it. Yeah. And there are certain boundaries, right? I mean, as a physician, you can't be emotionally attached to all of your patients. Yes, exactly. Not completely ruin it. But that lack of complete empathy, and, and it's more about the dehumanization of that person that's in the bed that right. is more the focus and what you should pay attention to. Like, do I, am I treating this person in bed four as, um, you know, just another case? Right. A person who is a father, is a brother, is a, you know, a husband, another human, yeah, another human, a loved one. Yes. Someone. And so um, uh, that that's another symptom of, of right. burnout. Um, yes. And uh, not finding joy in your old hobbies. Yes. Um, that's another sign. Um a lack of sleep and and sleep disturbances, nightmares. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned all of those things because it's so important when 
I, I, I believe that personally, because I've been through that burnout journey myself when I first started my career and I used to go all excited for the first three years. And then I was just like, because I used my population that I used to serve was, um, they used to suffer from mental retardation was their primary diagnosis. But then there were all these other comorbid medical conditions, um, mental health conditions as a result of mental retardation. So autism, schizophrenia, you know, all these personality disorders, mood disorders. So after a while, I when I didn't know how to practice is healthy self-care and healthy boundaries, I used to just get so taken away by all of that and I would bring my work home. And then I had to literally reset, regroup and literally learn um, healthy coping skills and a real way of not bringing my home work home, you know, because I came home, my head didn't come home with me, so to speak, you know. Um, it was just very difficult to over and over, keep going through this. And one of the things that I learned was that it only compounded with time. So it's not like, oh, if I thought, oh, this is going to go away or it's going to get better or whatever, then it got worse with time. And I think that's what, you know, leads to depression or uh, PTSD over time or, you know, other severe diagnosis as a part of not treating it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of like you mentioned, also being able to learn when to disconnect from work when you leave. Yes. Um, traditionally, critical care work is done in shifts. Yes. So there is a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. day yep. shift and a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. night shift. Yep. And um, being able to trust your colleague yeah. to hand over the care to them yep. is important. And then um, also creating some sort of ritual around it. So mm-hmm. I actually started to... Um, take off mm-hmm. and like this, this white coat, mm. and I would li- immediately leave the hospital before I would enter my car. I would take off, uh, you know, physically I would yes, take off, yes. coat, but even if I wasn't but wearing mentally, coat, it was just your way of cutting yeah, off that cord. Cutting off. I yes. was taking off this invisible layer of, of being a doctor. And then I was getting into my rosy suit yeah. to get into the car and drive <laughs> home. It. Yeah, Yeah. so important, because I think, you know, it's so easy to get so repetitive in our cycles and habits, sometimes that we have form that we don't we don't come to a place unless there is crisis hit, that we don't realize that that's also dysfunctional, no matter what career you're in, you know, so sometimes it's really, really important to recognize that some of these things are happening as a way of life trying to tell us, hey, get grow into your better self change into more adaptive ways of coping learn other copings and other you know um wellness skills so that and wellness does it's not just mental health but it's just physical wellness you know brain health body health mind health all of that together can really culminate into you showing up being more present being more mindful and thoroughly enjoying what you're doing as a result of that yeah Um, exactly so tell us a little bit about what are some of your self-care rituals that you follow that people can get ideas from or, you know, do as a part of burnout when they experience yeah. burnout. Because as, as I guess from what I'm hearing is that you experience that not just once, but twice. So you're also on a break right now, so to speak, because you've learned yeah. in your past life. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, early on in the in the pandemic, um, I, I pretty much worked almost eight weeks straight, 84 wow. hour week, 84 hour weeks. Um, I, you know, I had days off, obviously, in between sure. but flipping between days and nights became very stressful. I was flying back and forth between two hospitals in, in the state of California that that were desperate for ICU doctors. And so um, and then, of course, taking care of 
these COVID-19 patients is, is an very taxing. Yeah. Extremely taxing. And it's, and it's frustrating for the family members too, because they're not allowed to come to the hospital. Yeah. So then their grieving becomes, um, uh, sort of a control issue Mm. and because they don't feel like they're in control to be able to visit and touch their loved one at the bedside. Yes. Yes. And it turns into these very odd phone conversations where they'll ask you, well, what was the sodium level today? And, <laughs> you know, as a physician, normally, it's, yes, it's like, that's, that's so irrelevant right now. Right. Um, and, you know, I can't go back and teach you everything I learned in med school. But as a physician, I recognize that it's just the grieving process. I'm so glad you me- mentioned that because that's so important for people, physicians listening and people listening, that that's what is happening, that their grieving is manifesting itself as a part of it. I mean, you know this, I know this, but a lot of people are not aware that that's what is happening. So it's really important to just become aware that that's what is happening when your loved one is going through something difficult and you can't connect with them and just trust someone else that you absolutely don't know how they would take care of them. Right. So what I would do is I would um, leave my shifts mm. and, and I was living out of a hotel during mm. the, these, these eight months. I took a candle with me. Yes. Um, and I, as soon as I would get into the hotel, I would obviously strip and then run into the shower. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, yes. Uh, but then um, in the shower, I had a, a set playlist. So mm. I would, I would turn that on and mm. then, in the shower, I would imagine the water washing my day. I love that. That's such a good tra- grounding technique. I do the same thing to yeah. just start my day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the visualization of watching that water go down the drain is yes. very therapeutic. I think our minds oh, are yeah. so powerful. Yep. And visualization techniques work very, very well. Oh, absolutely. There has been a number of studies done and I have one of my podcasts that uh, that will air before yours that said, that talks about, you know, mental visualization and how our mind cannot tell the difference between visualization and reality. And there have been induction studies done where you literally sit and play piano, same, you know, finger muscles triggering your brain. And when you imagine you're playing a piano, same muscles trigger in your brain. And over time, it's just amazing how these studies show that sometimes, I mean, most of the time that when you visualize certain things and you experience that happening, you can't, your mind cannot tell the difference. Your brain can, but your mind can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and this particular shower ritual that I've created also hits all three types of learning styles, which is visual auditory with the music mm-hmm. and kinesthetic yes. Yes. The feeling of the water washing everything. Yes, 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 yes. So it's really powerful. And then after that, I would, um, I would try to avoid digital screen time. Mm, um, love that. So, so I would continue maybe on with like an audio book. I listened to Michelle Obama's book mm. during these weeks. Yes. To get wrapped up in someone else's story. Yeah. Replaying the stories of my patients in my mind Um, your entire day absolutely Mm -hmm. and just replaying your entire day you know Mm -hmm. and especially if you're in a hotel what do you do so just learning and I really think I want to actually touch some time before we forget I want to hear what you say more about your day but or more about your evening but 
really the importance of involving all your senses because you mentioned candle earlier and I'm very big on, you know, uh, smell is one of the only scents that, you know, goes straight to your amygdala and just soothes oh, yes. your, you know, uh, fight or flight. So whenever you're going through stressors, it's really important that whatever that smell may be for you, you know, um, it just calming yourself and bringing yourself back to the present and in the here and now. And like you were mentioning earlier, just the importance of touch, the importance, you know, there's this whole five, four, three, two, one technique that a lot of times we teach people for grounding, which is five things you see, one, four things you um, sense around you, just sense things around you to bring yourself in the here, three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing you taste. So just so that you can calm your anxiety, you can calm your panic, and noticing those things around you and indulging all of your senses to mm-hmm. completely bring yourself back in what you are doing at that moment, as opposed to all these other things that are happening, you know, outside of you. And sense have, senses have such a way of just healing and bringing you to the present so that you're not flying everywhere and doing all the things and just the, its way of calming down all the, you know, um, fight or flight or the, the stress responses in our brain. So important um, to use those skills. Yeah, absolutely. And I think having a full tool bag as well. Yes. You start to get a little bit bored with one particular absolutely. Thing, or if you're having a, a more difficult day than usual, sometimes it doesn't completely do it for you. So yep. you know, I'll travel with crystals. Yes. Um, and whether or not you actually believe the crystals have healing energies and stuff, it doesn't really matter. Like it's just representative. It's its own, you know, it's like whatever works for you and every person's um, toolbox looks different and that's okay. As long as it works for them and makes them their best healthy self for the given day or the moment, then Hey, why not? And just recognizing that you're not having a good day or you're not having a good evening. And what can you do to not, you know, um, not to succumb in it or not to resist it or forget get or deny it but just recognize like some people use meditation some people use this visualization tool some people use journaling some people use affirmations some people listen to good music some people write amazing poetry whatever that works for them you know yeah yeah exactly exactly um meal prep for the next day is also something i would engage in because it was very um just going through therapeutic Yeah. yeah, it's because there's there's not a lot of thinking involved. It's just right. more scooping yes. and putting together in Tupperware and getting that prepared. And then that also helped me nutritionally the next day. Yeah, so that I wasn't binge eating and stress eating on the donuts that were in the nurses' lounge. I cannot I would, even imagine when I used to work at the psych ward. Oh my god, I think I was the heaviest. We used to work the night shifts, and it was just oh my god, what do you do at yeah. night? <laughs> just eat, yeah. you know. Okay. Yeah. And and these techniques, I will say, are not completely foolproof because I am actually the happiest I have been in 20 years. And it's it's because it's like I have these techniques to to help to help um, help me cope. But sometimes they're not they're not going to be foolproof. Like exactly. I, I, you have to learn your journey and what to write for you and at what right. given point of your life and phase you want for you. And I think right. that's also important to ex- examine. So, you know, yeah. you're doing what's best for you in certain areas of your life. And in the other areas you'll work on when you have a chance right now, they're not a priority. Right. Right. Exactly. 
Absolutely. So um, I love, love, love what you what you mentioned earlier. So tell us a little bit about um, what, because I know that one of the things that we started about was um, breaking the cycle and epigenetics of trauma and, you know, the intergenerational thing. What do you see in your experience or what are your thoughts on that topic? I know that's a big topic. We only have uh, so much time, but um, just want to sort of, you know, pick your brain on that. Yeah, um, I think, so some of the the generational traumas that are, are, I think that's a, that's really, that's an important topic for people of color and, mm-hmm. um, and first generation and immigrants. Mm-hmm. My parents were very much in survival mode. Mm. And so, um, because they really had to survive in a brand new country that they'd never been in. Um, mm-hmm. And they've tried to instill a lot of their um, techniques uh, f- so that I can survive in this country. But Absolutely. I don't need the the weight of the stress that they they examine money with. Yes. Um, because for them, it was like, either my daughter's going to eat tonight or she's not. Yes. And I grew up here and now I'm a physician and I'm getting paid very well. That is never going to be a fear of yes. mine. Yes. Uh, you know, of course, like there's random whatever tragedies and things that can happen. But statistically speaking, that's not going right. to be for mine. But my parents continue to try to push that on me. Like, right. you need to make an investment. It was their conditioning. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and so really diving into redefining what it what a scarcity means to me when it comes to finances. Like, what right. does that look like? Right. And, redefining those lines because my, my parents had a very different upbringing and different stressors. Right. Um, and so for me, wellness plans, spending money on a personal trainer, like we said, spa days, things like that, that really helps me cope. But my parents find those as unnecessary luxuries. Yes. And so like really trying to redefine what it is for you, because if you continue to use the financial mindset that your parents had, and Absolutely. you don't, uh, and you don't want to waste money on a spa day, then you're going to continue to live the same stressors and traumas that they had in their generation on top of a new layering of different type of stressors as That's a physician, right? So it's like, you have to learn to let some of this stuff go. Uh, and that takes years. I mean, yes. and it's a lot of practice and it, it comes with awareness that that's what is happening in the first place, you know, because I think we come to a, uh, you know, like a point of our lives and like a fork where we're like, wait, this is not sitting right. Is this what I really value? And are these my values, even though, you know, these were my parents' value. And at what point of that fork do I start becoming my own independent self? Um, right. As much as I'm so glued to my family and my parents' values. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same thing with um, organized religion. Yes. You know, um, I was brought up Muslim and, you know, I still identify as a Muslim, but Mm -hmm. there's so many pieces of the religion uh, that I I question a lot and Mm -hmm. um, I have to come to my own terms with it. I can't just blindly pick it up from my parents and and continue to, to, go through the motions like they did because I still need to feel fulfilled within myself who you are and your truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Absolutely. So true. Um, because I definitely find that in terms of my trauma work that, you know, it's so big. Like, And that's one of the reasons, like, you know, after passing away of Nima, one of the things, and I was um, going through my own new motherhood challenges. And that's finally, I came to a place where around the end of 2020, where I'm like, I need more, I need bigger, I need to find my purpose, I need to find my voice. And what is that? And evaluating and examining that and thus this podcast was born where I had so much to say in terms of some of the things because I think in our culture and in our society as far as I'm concerned and just being doing this trauma work for almost 12 years I, I just feel like everybody goes through some kind of trauma in their life whether it's big t or small t we all go through certain perceptions of things that don't sit right with us and if we don't resolve it or if we don't work through it or if we don't process through it and find different ways of healing through it then we mm-hmm. continue to perpetuate that cycle um you know and pass it on to our kids because we don't adapt through it we don't learn from it we got it passed from our parents they were never diagnosed of uh, you know depression anxiety or trauma or PTSD in their world. So 50% of it is genetically predisposed. We are going to get it. At some point, if we experience triggers or stresses, it's going to, you know, we have the genetic predisposition, it's going to set off at some point. So it's really important that we learn adaptive coping skills through these processes and all the education that we did receive, you know, as a result of their sacrifices. I think it's important that we go, we heal, we do the trauma work, we process through it. And then we teach our kids and the next generation of people to by role modeling adaptive skills, and then just learning about some of the things, you know, um, and healing from it. So that that we don't continue to pass it, pass it on like we got passed on. Right, exactly. And I think one of the big things in all childhoods, I think across the, con- the, across the globe is um, they are, are taught to suppress their intuition. Yes. And they're taught to seek permission. Yes. For like almost everything. Yes. I mean, you think about it in, in, uh, in elementary school, if I needed to use the restroom, I had to ask the teacher for permission to release my own bladder and right. my own physiologic needs as a child. Right. Um, and that is something I'm looking forward to undoing for this next generation of children, because I will then see a a grown adult woman in the ICU looking for a pen to write with. And then there's one rogue pen on the counter and she will run around finding someone saying like, Hey, is it okay if I use this pen? Right. Very clearly no one owns that pen. It's just sitting there. Right. He felt the need to ask permission to use it. And so it's it's like these small little things you don't realize that just become habits and like Mm. behaviors that do not serve you anymore. Like that was a silly example, like asking permission. It's not a silly example. It's actually really interesting you say that because in this month uh, where I'm going to air your podcast, I interviewed a woman called Louise Hollis and she's the shame guilt coach. And she talks about how our language, because of the way we were raised and over time, you know, we are, we, it's such a shaming, guilting culture, even Mm -hmm. though we do it to ourselves as in, you know, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I was late. No, if you didn't do it deliberately, don't be sorry. Don't we we become such an over apologetic culture where we apologize about the littlest things that we don't intentionally do to hurt anybody. If they're hurt, they can tell us they're hurt and we can have a communication about it. But why are we sorry about, you know, things that we didn't deliberately mean to do? We can say, excuse me that this happened. Hey, may I borrow this pan or, 
why are we sorry all the time? Or yeah. why are we asking permission all the time? You know, right. so yeah. it, it, she really mentions that. And I really loved what she said about that, where we need to be mindful about not being over apologetic or not being too sorry or not being, you know, um, too scared about other people's emotions and other people's feelings, but yet have our own voice and communicate. Just, yeah. 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 Absolutely. So tell us where people can find you and um, tell us all the good stuff about where you can be reached and all. all I, I, I want to, this was a secret, we kept the secret till the end, but you know, um, I know you're launching your own podcast. So tell us about that. Yeah. So it's going to be the female doc show and uh, that's coming in January, 2021. So it'll be out in about by the time you guys are listening to this and you can find me on Instagram. I'm the female doc. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I also have my blog, the female doc.com. Awesome. I talk about like gender racism, um, uh, homophobia, everything that pertains to marginalized groups and how that awesome. applies to the workplace. And yeah. Love, 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 love all of that. Can't yeah. wait to, I'll put all of that information in your show note in the show notes below. So please reach out to her. She's an amazing resource, very reachable, very kind and human, um, even though she's so successful in what she does. So really honored to have you on the show. And thank you so much for sharing all your expertise. So hopefully we can reach a lot more people um, in your field and all the front, you know, demanding fields that are where people forget to do self-care and take care of themselves and how that can be detrimental to their sense of being. So thank you for being here and sharing with us all that knowledge. Yeah, thank you so much. And and thank you for what you're doing. I think it's really important to talk about this topic. So my biggest thing was let's talk about the big bold things that we don't talk about as a society. We have to break the uh, cycle. We can't without addressing some of these very elephants in the room that exist. So I appreciate that. Um, Really honored to hear that. So thank you. And until then, we uh, will see you next time. Thank you so much for chiming in. If you like what you hear, subscribe to my podcast and please rate and review us so we can continue the longevity of the show and, you know, people trying to find us um, on Google and the algorithm. So really appreciate you tuning in every week um, and learning and being inspired and being hopeful, hopefully, um, because that's the goal of the show. If you need to reach me anytime, please contact me at gpatel at gpatelcounseling.com. I'm really honored to have you on this journey with me. So until then, see you next time. me love it i couldn't uh, agree with so that. i'm sorry go back to um i'm sorry see please excuse me we need each other we need yes yes yes, yes, yes. Um, let's go back where you wanted me to go this is exactly where i wanted you to go this was oh, exactly okay. that was so powerful because i really think it's important the language oh, okay. that we use for ourselves the way we treat ourselves the way we talk ourselves um, and rebuild those neural connections of positiveness towards ourselves or love to ourselves. And, you know, take the more love we give ourselves, the more we etch away at the guilt and guilt, shame energy, you know, Um, go ahead. It is said that we need three positive to offset one negative. Oh, absolutely. So I had to do a lot of positives. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I I know we're ending. And I want to end with this. Yes. That the the part of us 
that is the star of our personality. Mm -hmm. The ringleader who's the in charge mm -hmm. is our inner critic. Mm. So okay. True. He, he or she yep. can be either one. Mm -hmm. However, we cannot slice them out and tell them to shut up and go away. A lot of therapies that tell us to do that. No, it doesn't we work. We have to say hi. Yep. And thank you so much for talking to me. Absolutely. What is your name? Yeah. And um, in my video on YouTube is the king is my inner critic. Mm. And I show you how we keep talking and we eventually become partners. Mm. I tell him it's the year 2020. Yeah. And I have learned a lot of things. So you can ease up on your restraints mm. because I've learned a lot. Mm. So it's a matter of talking. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes a year. So mm. it just depends. But it's opening the door to look at the inner critic as a very good protector who needs to be brought to the year 2020. And mm -hmm. he doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. Because he would not know that. So... Yeah. Um, I wanted, yeah. So good point. I love it, love it. Um, because I really think, you know, it's like a lot of times in, in terms of the therapy work, I am very big on self-judgment and critiquing ourselves because we're so easy to do that. And, you know, we are the last people that we're compassionate with. In if you're going through, if you're programmed for certain things and if, you're, if you've been through certain trauma or if you've been through depression or really deep, dark stuff. And one of the biggest things that I find is that, you know, and the way I help my patients heal with that is that I tell them that if you had a best friend or if you had a sister, how would you tell them to, what would you tell them to overcome that situation? And, you know, oftentimes we're so much kinder to our other people. We are, of course. And not ourselves. And then they look back and they're like, yeah. So then I ask, why doesn't that apply to you? And that's but, where, yeah, and that's where you have the to shame say, and guilt factor. Yeah, it can, really yeah. looked at hardcore and yeah. head on, as in, yeah, why do I keep doing this to because myself? Because your inner critic is not in the year twenty twenty. Absolutely. So it's yeah, so it's important to bring back, bring your inner critique up to date to who you are today by continuing to challenge it by continuing to love it, by continuing to forgive it, because it served a purpose at the time. It helped protect us. It and helped. it still helps us, yep. but in a, in a more of a evolutionary way. Yep. And forgiving, you know, um, ourselves for being through some of those things uh, a lot of times, because it's like at six or seven or eight or 10, 20, we didn't know any better. We don't. That's why we evolve. That's why we grow. That's why we become our better version of ourselves. And, you know, what I am going to be uh, 20 years from now is not who I am today. So I have to forgive myself for not knowing. Same thing. I have to forgive myself for not knowing what I didn't know 20 years ago, but it taught me and who I am today. But yeah, and that's um, when the in, like my anxiety or anger part mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and they um, all have names mm -hmm. um, no name was my anger part he had no name yeah so when they heal when mm -hmm. they release the shame guilt they are carrying 
somehow there's no need for forgiveness. It's an awareness. Mm-hmm. It just is. Like it, it's almost as if the event never happened. Mm. When they're like when you have a scar, I mean, mm. a cut and it's bleeding, and then, oh my, no, no, no. And what happens when it's totally healed? Mm-hmm. Okay. You ever look at it and go, it doesn't even matter because you can't even see it anymore. Right, That's right. How healing can happen to right. that degree that as if it's never happened, which is really an awesome state to have. Right. Um, so anyway, it's just something to work towards. Absolutely. And I, that's what, that's one thing I feel very strongly about that when you have gotten to a place of that complete transformation or sort of recovering or healing, whatever you are in that process or that stage is that when you have no emotional charge and it's It's not that you forget about it, but you, it, it, it's not a daily part of your etching every day, same thing, same loop, negative rabbit hole. It's just, it's, you're liberated, you're free, you're on the other side, it doesn't affect you anymore. It was just a part of your life that that existed that made you into who you are today. And, and you said it very well, because you said etching, and it's really like the shame guilt energy cutting into your Oh, absolutely, it is actually cutting and cutting, and it hurts. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why people don't even want to find it. Because it hurts too much, but oh, we absolutely. can go around that by talking to the little kids. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, you you got it. Yep. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your blessing, <laughs> um, Lois. So tell us how can people find you? Because you have so much to offer. You have so much stuff. Tell me a little bit about your book and all your you know if you're on social media or your email or your website and all of that stuff. How can my audience find you? I'll put all that in my show notes. I have all that information, but just so that they can. Yes, the best way is to go to my website, HTTP, T-P-S, LoisHollis.com, L-O-I-S-H-O-L-L-I-S.com. Now, on there, Mm -hmm. we have the um, way to get my free ebook, Mm. which is the newsletter. You Mm. can enter either one of them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Also, I give 15 minute free talking. Oh, awesome. so a lot of times people want to have a session with me, but before they commit yeah. to that, they want to talk to me and see if we have something in You're common. Right fit. Yep, 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 yep. Perfect. Okay. Most of my clients are clients that have done therapy for years and years and years, and they're going, I'm tired. I'm tired of coping. I want it fixed. I want to get rid of it. Yep, so, yep, yep, yep. Okay. I'm like the la- I'm last, the last one. Like, okay, I did everything else. What can I do now? Yeah, so, yep. and then, and then I'm big on that because I as much as I want everybody to be in therapy and have therapy, I I believe that not everybody has access to it. Not it's not for everybody. So different things work for, for different, different people. people. And, and that's what, one of the reasons yeah. I have people from all walks of life who are an expert at their fields who have figured it out and now are paying it forward. And, you know, I, I just want people to find that healing, to get that help, to have that hope and to have a purpose. Because, because when you find your purpose, purpose. it's huge. It, it, huge. You're passionate about you wake up to it every morning. But and, you know, it's fixable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So and from our stories, yes. don't know that they, yep. that we have to say, you know, it's fixable. And absolutely. that's what hurts sometimes because we know it's fixable. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, go. Best thing is to do that. And I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. Hey. Okay. And um, I'm fixing my YouTube channel. And I have a lot of my podcasts now on my website. Oh, yay. Awesome. 
And that's good because each podcast comes from a, a different angle angle of shame. Yeah, because as you know, it's a very big topic. Exactly. That's why I'm like, in 45 minutes, I don't know how much I can cover, but this I'll is what back. I'm going to go with. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> I'll come back. Lois, uh, we'll have to read your book. I'm definitely going to buy your book and I will definitely be looking forward to your movie. So thank you so much. I will me. let you know. I'll keep you yes, posted. Yes, yes, please. Um, I'm actually going to air your episode sometime around that. So that would be perfect. So let me know. I'll have it in the show notes. But really for today, I am so excited that you are here to teach us all these amazing things and for who you are and just the, the amazing and awesome that you bring well thank you for receiving oh yeah absolutely you you did change me what 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 you did there (laughs) when i first met you absolutely worked so yes thank you i I am always looking to grow to get better and to you know um, share that with people and i'm excited that you are here today so thank you for being here thank you blessings no problem and uh, absolutely for you guys um thank you so much for tuning in today and if you like what you heard please, please, please subscribe so you can continue to hear amazing, amazing wisdom from people like Lois and um, other people that I plan to have on the show. And definitely, definitely, please rate and review us so it can help other people who are looking for this kind of help and to be hopeful and to find their purpose and find peace, um, find us better on the Google algorithms. We always love getting feedback so we can continue to improve our show and bring in guests that might be relevant to what you're going through in life. But um, really, really, Wishing you a very blessed week, a blessed day, and thank you for so much for tuning in today and for your time. Until next time, um, we'll see you later. Bye.